we're back. Let's just talk. Well, you want you want to just talk? Yes. Because we we haven't talked in months. Let's do it, so bro. I feel like we should talk. Yeah. Well, we're really just catching up right now. Just we haven't done this in a while. We've been away. I mean, we, the whole uh, the, this great what do we call it? The great sports pause of 2020. Like it, it all. We sat it down. We Man, just say 2020. That should be enough for everybody. This has been rough. <laughs> This has been rough, for real. I mean, this I, I've never, none of us have ever seen anything like this. I, but I, we're back, and we got to talk about a lot of stuff because there's so many things happening. And this is like the third straight day that we've tried to do a podcast, and we finally got this going today because we've been talking about getting this thing back, but it's like the whole world's been upside down. So we just didn't have that. We didn't know what the right time to come was, but we just had to get back. And not only that, my wife was pregnant. She would not let me out the house. Mine we, too. Yeah, and <laughs> like we can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. So where do we go? How do we put this thing together? We finally worked out the kinks. Uh, we had a couple mishaps yesterday yeah. and the day before. We did. With microphones, headsets. <laughs> uh, what are we, how are we rolling this thing? It, it's been very interesting, but we got it, though. We're, we're like up and running. This is going to be a great one, though. Well, it, well yeah. That, and we, we, like the ideas are flowing. You right. Know, that's, right. A, that's a good thing, too. So, like, we, I don't know. There's been so much happening that it, you know how we already felt like we were kind of drinking from a fire hose with all the news and sports and stuff anyway. Yeah, and you don't know what to believe or what you can take in or what you can digest. So the nice thing about this now is that we can disappear into sports, you know, in, in a way. You know, you can't, yeah. you can't ignore the whole world, but, like, the, we got the NBA playoffs. You know, I left here last night. You're watching the Lakers game. I, I got home, and LeBron went off last night. He went ham. Look, so I'm a Lakers fan through and through. I've always hated LeBron James, like, because if you was tough. If, as, as a Lakers fan, you're either with us or everybody else is against us. Oh. So Michael Jordan, I hated Michael Jordan back in the day, all right, because he was with the Bulls and he beat us. I hated LeBron James because he was anything opposite of Kobe Bryant and taken away from Kobe's greatness. So His birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, Kobe. Happy RIP birthday, Mamba. There it is, the black happy Mamba birthday, right Mamba. up there on the wall. Um, and now that he is a Lakers fan, now that he's on the Lakers, I have to root for him because – and it's just different rooting for LeBron because the way he does it, it's like grown man stuff that he does. Like when he went to the hole yesterday, they tried to foul him. He still got the and one. And I'm just over here beating my chest. Just like, that's what I'm talking about, LeBron. And it's just a different type of cheering. Uh, it's not like it's silky smooth like with Kobe where he's hitting with fadeaways and jumpers, blah, blah, blah. It's just a different pace. And the Lakers have to win. They have to beat Portland. Like you can't get bounced and talk about how great you are. Not only that, but I can't consider – LeBron James, this is something I thought about too. I can't consider LeBron James better than Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant because they can't they can finish a game by hitting free throws. LeBron James has an Achilles heel of free throws. He shoots in the low 70s consistently. He missed a lot of free throws. Now, hold on though. You know the LeBron stands are going to laugh you they're going to laugh at you for that. If they, if they if you if they're and you know I'm a Kobe guy. I'm just saying like if you tell them that you see his inability to hit free throws as what separates him from being behind. Like they, they already think – LeBron stands think that he is a 1,000 yards ahead of Kobe Bryant. They think that, honestly. No. So, look, if I, was to, if I had to draft somebody, if you're just looking at body types, all these – of course you want the right. prototype is LeBron James because he's the biggest, fastest guy, keeps himself in immaculate shape. Um, you look at all the highlights of – Michael Jordan, for as hard as he worked, he always had a freaking cigar in his mouth the whole damn time. <laughs> like, I don't even know. Like, but that was the era it was in, right? That yeah. was the era, right? We're looking at Scottie Pippen and, the, and, and all these guys. They're crushing blood, blood heavies after the game. Like, it was nothing. And I wish I played in that era, actually. But <laughs> I, I, I just give LeBron a ton of credit for everything he's done off the court, the way that he's been 
considered as his poster child, his prodigy, the next coming, and he's never disappointed that he's lived up to all, everything he's done and exceeded everybody's expectations. That when he's done playing basketball, he'll probably be an NBA owner. Uh, that when he's done playing basketball, he will continue to push kids onto their next levels and you know continue to pay for kids to go to college and all these other things that he's done. Uh, hats off to him. When it comes to that part of it, he's done just as much or more than any other athlete we ever had in our generation, for sure. Well, look, that's I've, I, I tell people a lot. He's not that he ever needed it or cared about it, but he's he's earned my respect. Oh. I mean, over and over again over the years in terms of the things that he's done off the floor. Now, you know as well as I do that because he can he make a free throw? Well, okay, that's the free all throw, I care about. But he's also inserted himself like in a lot of political and social issues. Now that's the that's the age that we're in. Mm -hmm. But that also is a reason that a lot of people won't even consider him as being in the same conversation as Michael Jordan, for instance. Because, you know, Mike stayed out of politics. He would not do he it. He didn't want it. He like, still tries to stay out of it. Well, he's in it more now. Like, I mean, he just gave, what, $100 million to social initiatives. So, I mean, he's in – but that's – he's retired now. And, well, he's not that, – that's the wrong word. Like, Mike's he's, – he's, he's in a different place in his life. Yes, he is. You know, he's got all this money in the world to influence things the way that he can influence them without having to also – I guess be in the spotlight, if that makes sense, because he's still MJ. He still owns the Hornets. It's still the Jordan brand. But, like, he doesn't have the intense scrutiny of playing game six in the NBA Finals while trying to do all this stuff, too. Correct, you correct. So, but, like, because LeBron, like, campaigned for Hillary Clinton, you know, or because mm -hmm. LeBron will get into fights with the president. Well, half the country now thinks LeBron James is either, you know, an <laughs> asshole, pardon my language, or they think he's overrated or, you know, any number of things because they don't disagree with him. They don't agree with him politically. Mm -hmm. MJ never – he never went in that direction. So I don't even think at this point – how do you even begin to, like, talk about their legacies as if you can really compare them? Because MJ didn't have to – he didn't have an, a YouTube channel or an Instagram account. Very like, true. Like, LeBron is – you and I grew up – we were like that first wave of, like, millennial. Mm -hmm. or, you know, in that era where – People in our generation started spilling their thoughts out onto the internet all the time. Right. Like they, MJ didn't do that. Like that dude didn't, he didn't want to tell anybody what he was up to <laughs> off the floor. So, like it was, I don't even know. Like, in terms, like the basketball players, they play different positions, they play different styles. Like, I guess that's why I've just like resigned myself to being like, MJ was the greatest of his era, Kobe was the greatest of his, and LeBron's the greatest of his. That's the easiest way for me to reconcile all that now. And I would agree with you on that. And I, I like the fact that. It's just it's unfortunate that we always have to compare athletes to past guys, right? Because they play more games. The, the game's totally different. The way that you can hand check now, now that you can't hand check, oh, yeah. the three-point line has totally changed and innovated the game the way it is now. So, I mean, you look at the Houston Rockets. They play with everybody that's 6'5", the tallest player on the court sometimes. And it's working. It is working for them. No, they dropped that game last night, but still. I mean, they're going to win the series, though. So it yeah. doesn't really matter. It, I, I just look, I love basketball. It's one of my favorite sports to watch. NBA basketball, that is. And of course, I liked Mar March Madness uh, college basketball. But um, NBA basketball, I'm a huge fan of. And I like what they've done so far. I cannot say enough great things about LeBron James and everything that he represents off the court and on the court as a man, as a husband, as a father. The fact that he continues to participate in his son's life, even though he did not have a father in his life, that kind of shows you the growth process of. What we look for in the African-American community as like a real light, like somebody who not only is taking care of his own family, but taking care of so many others that do not have. Oh, yeah. uh, you look back at his hometown, everything he's done with that school, the promise school and, and all the kids that he sent into college to give them a chance and opportunity to say, hey, it's not just about sports, but it's education factor, right? That it, with education, if you can close that gap, that you have a chance to be more successful than anybody else in your family's generation because you have an education and just 
forcing that on them to make them get in out of their comfort zone to grow and uh, see that you can be successful doing other things. Have you liked these playoffs? Like, the, do you like the the production of it? Do you like? What I, you're doing? I I love it because it's basketball all day long. This reminds me like an AAU. This tournament. is cool. Yeah, it, yeah, it's like you wake up by the time you're done getting the sleep out of your eyes, they're about to kick this thing off. It's it's awesome because and to that point, it's like an NCAA tournament for the NBA because like I'm I changed. I'm back in the middays now on my show on the radio. So, mm-hmm. like, I'm there 10 to 2 every day. So, I, before I even go off the air right now at 2 o'clock, there's a live NBA game on behind <laughs> me. Like, I'm going into the final hour of my show, and I'm looking up, and there's a pregame show on. And at 1.30, boom, you got a tip-off. And it's, it's really cool. I, it's, this is – we will never forget this era of sports. No. Obviously, we'll never forget 2020. But, like, you know, and, and all this is really tenuous right now because just a rash of positive tests could, I guess, in theory, shut everything down. But – I mean, you look up. You got a basketball game on at one thirty. You got you got a matinee baseball game on at some time. Yeah. NASCAR's racing midweek, doubleheaders <laughs> all over the weekend. Uh, NHL playoffs. The Hurricanes just got bounced, but I mean they've been good. Yeah. And they were on. They they had to play a mid game too. They played at like eleven thirty or twelve one day right. because of one game that got pushed back because they're doing their little bubble situation. Five overtimes. Yeah. And so I, I really like. I would just want to know how, what will carry over to twenty twenty one. Well, we look at some of these things like, hey, we actually like coming to sign some of these things. See, I've been thinking about it. I think that. like they will, they will continue to involve the fans virtually. I think that'll be another thing that they will continue to do, that they will have live look-ins and have uh, fan uh, interactions, be able to do it like they've been doing now in the playoffs. See, I, I wonder about this too, because I think a lot of people do want to get back into a stadium sometime yes. soon. But I also think that it's not a coincidence. Well, it's just not that we've seen like all this attendance decline in all these sports. I think people are more and more like willing to stay at home, watch on a big flat screen, not pay as much money, deal with the hassle of part. Like lots of people still like going to sporting events. Of Don't course. get me wrong, but I think a lot more people are cool doing it this way. And now with the virtual, uh, the um, oh help me out, the um, uh, what what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, the VR, the virtual reality technology mm-hmm. that they're using. Like Stephanie Reddy was doing that for TNT, the NBA on TNT starting last year, where I mean, you could take these, uh, these VR headsets and you feel like you're sitting courtside <laughs> at these games. Have you seen this? No. Yeah, so it, it's like the next wave of the future. You're going to get these VR, and lots of people already have these virtual reality headsets where you, you, you know, you're locked into NBA on TNT, and you're sitting on your couch watching, I guess, the Lakers, for instance, last night. You're watching that Lakers Blazers series. And that headset, you feel like you're sitting courtside at that game. It's unbelievable. I mean, I would love to sit courtside without having to pay the courtside price. And you can do it at home. <laughs> and you don't have to pay $15 for a beer. Oh, it's, it sounds to me like a great deal. Sign I, me I up. I agree. I agree. I mean, it's, it, that now, again, I don't know how, but how long it's going to take for that to proliferate into, you know, 100 million homes in America. Right. But lots of people are doing it. Like the NBA, TNT, all these companies now are investing in it. So that you can have that in home. That's why I wonder, like, what stadiums of the future are going to look like. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we're looking at this is successful. You know, you want people in the arena. Don't get me wrong. Like Le- when LeBron reacted, said, I do this for the fans. If the fans ain't coming, I'm not playing. Right. Mm-hmm. There's something different about being in a hostile road environment. You know this as well as yes. anybody. You know, I've covered a lot of hostile games, man. Like that. You can't replace that. But I guess maybe you can with like these VR things. It's crazy, dude. I, I really like that. Even though they're playing and there's no fans in the arena, they're still yelling up to the invisible fans. Like, like, did you see them during the games? Like, they're still getting so excited and into it. And the competition is what's making the NBA so good is that we still are getting the high end of competition. The guys are competing at awesome levels. And it, they're still emotionally into it. 
And I like the fact that we can also hear all the calls and everything that the, everybody's saying. That from the coaches to the players, you can hear them from the sidelines because there's nobody else in the arena. So we're actually getting more feedback. And um, as like as, as also as they're putting the microphones on the players and you're hearing a little bit more insight that we never have gotten to uh, hear before. I'm really, really liking that. And also that everybody's more welcoming to that because they want to give the fans a little bit something because they understand that without the fans, that without the fans, there is no game and that they're not in the building. So we want to give them something because we wouldn't be in the position we are uh, you know, like I said, without them. No, the games have been like the seating games. Some were kind of sleepy. Like if I'm being honest, like there were only so many San Antonio, like the Phoenix Suns, by the way, was. I, I wish they would have got in to play Portland, dude. I know, but like, and, but like with like, Portland should have been like a four or five seed, right? If they if they don't get injured as much as they do throughout the season, that's four or five seed. So that right. that's a good team. But like, I don't know how much of this they'll take because they want people back in the arenas, they want people back in the stands. But I think you're right. The, that ability to be virtual is going to be a component in some way, shape, or form. And, and I don't know what that means for the future, but I think I, I know they're investing heavily in yeah. all that technology. Well, all the networks are starting to figure out that we can do so much more virtually that our technology and everything that's caught up, we didn't even know that we could do half the things that we're doing and that we're capable of. And I think they're going to continue to take advantage of that. I do too. Let me ask you a question. All right, I've been wanting to ask you. Like you and I, you, we didn't get a, a, as much of a chance to talk about this the other day. As, as I thought we would have, like the college football thing. Will they play? Won't they play? Should they play? Is it like, do you, that, that conversation has become really frustrating because you either, you get pushed into one group or the other. If you suggest that maybe they could play, you don't care about people's health. You don't take the virus seriously. Uh, you know, you, you are being short-sighted, myopic and sensitive, like any number of things. But on the other hand, you know, if you – I don't know. I, I just – I'm looking at it thinking taking kids off campus isn't necessarily good because we, we would hope to, we'd hope to be further along than this by now, I guess. But if you're creating an ideal situation for these guys to play football and they want to play football and they can reasonably keep them safe, is it the worst thing in the world to try it? I, I don't know. I, I feel like you can either give it a shot and, and be able to sleep at night knowing you gave it an earnest – you know, college try to let these kids play and you can feel good about at least trying or you just don't and you just wonder what if until the rest of time because college athletics is in trouble financially if you don't if you don't play. I'm not a what if guy, so I say let's try it. And I know as a former athlete, I would want to play, especially when I come back my senior year, which is what I did. I didn't leave my junior year the, that you put all this time and effort into it. You put all your emotions that, hey, I want to improve my draft status. And that's the goal for so many of these young kids. And for you to be able to just take it from them that we're not even going to try. So what did I stay here for? What did I put all this time and effort into? I've taken a lot of lumps. I've taken a lot of injuries. I've been here sitting in class and I don't even want to be here. But I have to be here and I have to go to this class because you say this is what I have to do to be able to stay eligible to try and achieve my goal, which is getting to the NFL or to the next level in my sports career. So I say I, I hats off to the conferences that are going to continue to try. I think the biggest thing is that you have to protect the athletes from all the rest of the student body. You can't. Yes, you can. Well, okay, I take that back. You can, but I think you have to go to some pretty extreme measures to do it. Did you, do you, it. It's like, okay to do it. It was, I, it was the 1990s that the NCAA outlawed all athlete dorms, right? I think it was the early 90s where they completely said there cannot be dormitories devoted entirely to athletes, I believe. Correct. But they're looking, at, they're looking into possibly reversing that as a way to keep all these guys – 
in the building and and quarantine. But did you see what what was at Auburn last night? The the clubs down at Auburn last night they were packed, dude. And there wasn't a mask in sight. Like these people, I, I saw some in Tuscaloosa too. <laughs> packed. I'm like, golly, no, they're not doing it. No, they're not. But that's the regular student body. So. Look, that's what I'm saying. You have to protect the regular, like the athletes from the students right now. We cannot co-mingle because we're not testing them. And we're testing our players and expecting them to make sure they're social distancing, make sure they're washing their hands, make sure they're wearing their mask all the time. And we're being smart about it. You look at the coaches. You look at them on the field. Players are wearing masks like around their neck to be able to put on and slide up when they're not having the helmet on because they're so consumed about staying safe. And then the moment we turn them loose – they go and do who knows what. So that's the scary part, and I think we need to make sure we monitor each other. Uh, I know they have some wristbands. I know the New Orleans Saints are using wristbands that says, you know, to make sure that they can trace. So if you get within six feet of somebody else, it goes to a computer that says, these are all the people that you've been around the last so many hours. See, that's the thing. I mean, that, that, what you asked a minute ago about what comes out of this that I think can be long-lasting, those smart rings. You've seen the smart rings these NBA players are wearing, right? Right. They, so they, for anybody who hasn't, it's basically just wearable analytic technology <laughs> that traces your body functions, your, your core temperature, your you know, level of hydration, if you have any sort of viral symptoms. I mean, the more it learns about you, the more predictive it becomes. It's insane. Yeah, and it also talks about your lung capacity, too. Like, if it's starting to drop or deteriorate, like, that's when it starts to say, okay, I think red flags are starting to happen. You need to watch out or start to get ready to quarantine this guy. And, and what's funny is because you and I were actually talking about this last night where some of these television networks, for instance, and, and radio, you know, and, and all digital media, but especially television companies have really started to find out what they can and can't do and what they can do more cheaply and more efficiently mm -hmm. now that they've had to. Right. Well, I mean, there was no. I mean, I know that like wearable analytics, for instance, they've been doing this in college football that uh, there's a company out of uh, Australia, and I'm forgetting the name, but they like Florida State, Oregon, all these NFL teams, they've been doing this wearable stuff for a we little while them. now. We you use, you them. use them, right. Mm -hmm. you know, but now it's just it's become such a common technology that's gotten so much better. That's the wave. And so all these colleges are going to have them. I think you're going to start to see the high schools, you know, maybe the wealthier high schools start to invest in this stuff not too long from now. That stuff's going to stick. I agree. and Because at first, the only information they were trying to collect from you was – your speed, max speed, like how fast you're going, where all you're going, how many yards are you doing in a day? Like we're keeping track of that so then we're not killing guys in that if somebody's really high on some levels, we need to back it off on right. for a day. Or if everybody's really high, then we need to back it back so we can all stay. Make sure – because that's how injuries happen. That's when you start having pulled hamstrings. If you're in training camp and you're in Spartanburg and it's 100 degrees outside, you can monitor whether or not a guy's core temperature is getting too hot. You can sit him down. Like these things are important and – you know, it, it's really, really useful stuff. You, it's not just about maximizing your training. It's about keeping guys safe, too, and it's really interesting stuff. I, I love that we're starting to implement all this smart technology to help our athletes be better, and uh, I think that continues to give an advantage. That's where it all started. Coaches just want an advantage. Anything that can give me an advantage, yeah. that's all I want. And now it's starting to really stick, and I'm glad that the players are actually believing in it as well because if the players don't believe in it, they won't wear it. But now we're starting to see the results, and it does work. Well, and this – it actually takes you right back to the college football thing because, you know, one of the arguments recently has become – well, there, the, all this uh, – there was a study out of Germany like two and a half months ago that really started to detail the possibility of lasting heart damage because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'd been paying attention to it, kind of tracking it, and then it really became part of the conversation a couple of weeks ago. Um, especially when Brady Feeney, the, the freshman offensive lineman at Indiana, 
his mom posted that thing on Facebook where she was like, and she was very complimentary of Indiana football. She was said uh, they, they did the right things. They yes. tested well. They shut everything down when they had this outbreak. But her son was one of the kids that got sick, and he had a hell of a time with it. And then after the fact, they're telling him he's likely going to have lasting heart damage because of this. And so everybody said, oh, wait a minute. And then uh, Edward, or Eduardo Rodriguez, the Red Sox pitcher, he's done the rest of the year because of heart damage from contracting COVID. So all this starts The Georgia to, State quarterback as well. Exactly. That, that was uh, two nights ago. Yeah, yeah. So this has become the thing now, and it's a legitimate thing to be worried about. But they don't know if COVID it, it leaves you at a greater risk of heart, or like heart damage than other viruses do, because the flu can do that to you too, mm-hmm. depending upon how you're built. And so you know, it's been interesting to watch that, because I, I talked to Will Healy at Charlotte. And I said, what, do you, what can you do about that? And he said, I'm really glad you asked. He said, we already have echocardiograms, EKGs, yep. all these things lined up to monitor these guys when they come back if they contract it. So that's good that they have that. You know, you don't want anybody to have it, but, you know, they're prepared to go to that length to keep these guys safe. Well, if you send them home to go party or go to, bar, you know, restaurants or just be out, they don't have the benefit of that. So I think I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Like, in some ways, they are safer, you know, with, with their teams. They're definitely safer on campus because you know what they're doing. Well, you don't know what they're doing, but you know they're at every day. They got to still come check in with you. And when they're at home, who knows what they're doing and who knows what, who they're hanging out with. And that's the thing, out of sight, out of mind. And you don't want that. And like you said, I applaud these coaches and these universities making sure that they are implementing EKGs, making sure we're checking on everybody's heart because this is something that's going to come up. I think that this is really smart in the fact of continue to learn and not just saying and being flexible to say that we don't know everything, that we're still willing to learn more and more about this, that we will continue to fight against this and make sure that we're keeping everybody as safe as possible. And you have to implement all this. And there should be no stone unturned. There should be no amount of money that you cannot spend or waste or use towards fighting this disease and making sure that you're keeping every athlete safe, whether it's men's basketball, football, uh, women's sports, uh, women's golf, women's soccer, the, anything. The problem is, though, that for a lot of these schools, they're, they're saying it's, it's going to be actually cheaper to, to punt on the season than to try to play it and spend all the money to test, to monitor. and everything. Like, UConn's not playing. And, and Randy Edsel, he said it's because, you know, the, the virus and being safe. And I'm sure that's true to an extent. It's also because, B, they're an independent, and scheduling now as an independent is a bear. And, C, it was going to cost them more money to play than to punt on the season. So they're having to make some of these decisions. It's a really tough catch-22. These lower-level schools, they're in bad trouble. So I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. All I know is, you know, it, it, I keep saying this on, on my radio show, and I'll say it again. If it's not safe, don't play. Right. Like I don't, I'm not prioritizing my entertainment above somebody's health and safety. Mm-hmm. I think these programs can conceivably keep these guys safe. But if all you're doing is going to remote learning and still allowing, you know, <laughs> 10, 15,000 students to hang around campus in apartment communities and dorms and everything else – to go to dining halls and, and all, it, it, they're going to mingle. They're, they're gonna, I, I just, I think it is really problematic. And, and I had, uh, I, I know a guy who is very high up in a power five athletics department handling the finances. And just the other day we asked him, are, are you going to play? And he said, I, I think we have to. <laughs> that's what, I mean, that was his answer, Roman. He said, I, I think we have to. So th- that's, that's what the, the situation they're in right now. Yes, it is. And when you're paying coaches $10, 12000000 million a year and uh, athletic director a couple million dollars and you're paying assistant coaches uh, $2 million, and th- somebody has to pit, fit the bill for this. And we're yep. not even talking about other sports. So it, it, it costs a lot of money to, to keep these things afloat, and they, have to, they need this football season because of the TV deals and the TV money. I want to talk about this, though, because – the thing that scares me is not so much the athletes that are on campus. 
And for all the athletes that are on campus, the one that scares me the most is going to be like the fourth or fifth string walk on. Oh, yeah. Guy that like is out. He has not playing on Saturdays. He's just there to get be a practice dummy, get beat up. And if we win a championship, I get a ring. He's a walk on senior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy that has nothing to do with really the football program besides getting beat up at practice. And when he's gone, the team is gone traveling or whatever they're doing. He's at home. And, oh, man, him and his fraternity brothers, they got something going on. He's going. He's going to go to it. He's not going to stay at home and sit on his feet. No, probably stand, not. Stand on his, you know, <laughs> sit on his hands all weekend. He's not going to do that. And next thing you know, he goes out. He intermingles. He gets it. And now he brings it back to the locker room. That is what scares me more than anything is the walk-on that nobody's looking at. And that's the one that gets us. Because once it gets in the locker room, it's hard to get out. It's like MRSA. Oh, no, it's not going anywhere. Or at least you're going to have to shut down for a couple of weeks. You got to shut it down. See, that's I, – I, I don't I, – I can see that's going to happen too. It's going to happen somewhere if they, if they try to play. I think the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12, they're going to keep on going until they can't go anymore unless they, they hit a point where they absolutely have to shut down, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to keep trying to go. The problem is you're going to have that happen. Like there, there have been some – like at Boston College tested like 700 and some people the other day. Uh, no positives, I think. Like in a big city like Boston, too. That's great. But they take it, they've taken it pretty seriously up north. They've they been pretty they stringent. Have. So, like, we're not worried about the up north schools. <laughs> Let's be honest, Kyle. We're, we're not. It's, it's all, and I'm not trying to make it a political thing, but it's all mostly the red states. Uh, it, it is. No, <laughs> honestly, if you really want to make football political right now, look at the states where they're playing high school football and look at the states where they're not. You, you, it follows red blue pretty closely. You know what makes no sense is the fact that in Indiana, the county where Indiana University is, they're not playing football, but their local high school team can. Penn State, State College, PA. Penn State can't play, but State College High School is playing football this fall. In Iowa, Iowa can't play because they're in the Big Ten, but then you go down the road to Ames, Iowa, and Iowa State's a go because they're in the Big 12. None of that makes any sense. And I was talking to a lot of my, college, my football buddies, and they were like, dude, don't even try and make sense of it. Because it doesn't. The more questions you ask, the more you're just going to confuse yourself. Just roll with it. Sit on the sidelines, Roman, because you're not making a decision. Kyle, you're not either. So let's just sit back. We'll absorb it, take it all in, and we'll just digest it and be able to spit out a couple facts. Because it makes no sense on what, how, who decides on who's playing, when they're not playing. I think the Big Ten pulled the plug a little too soon. That's my opinion. Kevin Warren's taking heat, too. He is. And it's not all his decision. It's not I, all his decision. I, I'm I don't, not sure I don't think it, I don't think it's all his decision. I mean, we can argue about that. Well, no, I don't want to argue about it. I'm saying like – Because, I mean, look, he makes a lot of money to be the president, but he's not the, – the universities are the ones that make all the decisions. I, and I they agree. push for everything. But the, the problem here is he's the Big Ten commissioner, right? And so it's – first of all, Dan Patrick reported uh, two weeks ago there was a 12-2 vote from the Big Ten presidents to cancel the season. His report ended up being wrong, but they canceled the season anyway. Okay, but then they, they never did prove that they had a vote. Then uh, Penn State. I heard some other, yeah, somebody Penn else State's came AD said, comes yeah. out. We, I don't think nobody's ever told me we actually had a vote. None of these presidents have confirmed there was, in fact, a vote to decide. And some are saying that there was a conference call where Kevin Warren gauged the room. Everybody gave their piece. And then it was, he basically orchestrated them to say, you know, th- this was a group decision, but it's what he wanted to do. And his son plays football at Mississippi State. Oh, he's playing. And he, as of right now, he's playing. You know, and so I this again, I this is kind of like the whole, you know, COVID, which businesses should be shut down debate. Right. I, if you're a bar or a restaurant or a bowling alley with a bar and a restaurant, your neighbors closed down, but you aren't or you're closed down, but your neighbors not. doesn't make a lot of sense. People are working with different information. All these conferences have medical advisory boards. 
Pac-12 saying it's not safe. Big Ten saying it's not safe. The ACC, who has pretty good doctors, by the way, saying, no, we can manage this. The SEC and the Big 12. So who do you believe? I'm not a doctor, so I, I'm in no way qualified to say that guy's more believable than that guy. I don't know who to believe. I don't either. I think it's just about what you want to do and what are you going to tell yourself or convince yourself that we're capable of doing and right. finishing. And look, at the, in, at the end of the day, it's not about starting the season. You have to be able to finish this thing. You don't want to all of a sudden get it going and then you look up in week five or six, we got to shut it down. That is, but that is what has made the NBA successful. That is what made NHL successful, is that they are going to finish the season. We will be able to crown a champion on both of these sports, and that is what you have to get to. And I don't know if you're going to be able to crown a champ at the end of college football this year, but you need to be able to say we finished the season, whether it's all SEC schedule, whether it's all ACC schedule, whether it's all Big 12 schedule. You need to be able to finish the season off and say, hey, look what we were able to do throughout this COVID environment, and we were able to pull something off miraculous when nobody else said that we could do it. And we were able to do it because we put our minds together, we put our money together, and we went out there and accomplished something great. It's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, we, we're supposed to have this shared responsibility to beat this virus. Like, think, and I hate to do this, because any time in our generation that we think of some huge, tr like, tragedy, galvanizing moment, we always go back to 9-11. When 9-11 happened, we all rallied together. Everybody. Like there was no red-blue, like there was no divisiveness Everybody. in the way there is now. We all rallied around this thing. Now, here we have a global enemy, one that I don't think is going to be the end of mankind. I don't, I've, not, I've not really been panicking this entire time. But, no, the numbers don't say that. But it's serious enough that we probably should all kind of band together to knock this thing out so we can move on with our lives. We haven't been able to do that together because we don't agree on anything at all. No. And then you have, like to your point, this great will and desire to play which I think would be great for the morale of the American people to have more sports, to have things that bring them some sense of normality because nothing's really all that normal right now, and it's an election year, and people are already going to lose their minds for the next couple of months. So I do think there's a, a benefit to playing safely if you can do it, but I also do worry about these players not taking it seriously, to your point, that walk-on, second-string fullback, or whoever it may be. You know, they're, they're also invading these, these communities, these small towns. Like, I went to school in Blacksburg. On a game day in Blacksburg, the town doubles in size. Mm -hmm. you know, so you have a lot of retirees, professors, older working people that, you know, these students are coming down from all over the place, from Richmond, from North Carolina, from Maryland, from Pennsylvania. They're all coming into this community. And, you know, these people are, are they're subject to whatever comes into town. So how do you keep those people safe? And is playing football going to put them at risk? If it is, I don't want to play. But if you can keep that from happening, then you should play. Yeah, and also they just determined that they're going to allow – uh, capacity in certain amounts of stadiums, Ugh. right? A certain certain amount. So I, I don't love that. I, I don't know how they're going to protect everybody and do it that way. I guess because it's outside, they're going to have you know twenty percent capacity or or whatever they're going to do. I, I really don't know. I, I have no vision. It. Of it is, but that is what they're deciding. I and uh, like I said, Kyle, we're not going to try and sit up here and make sense of it. We're just going to digest it and talk about well, it. Well, I'll tell you this. You know Dr. David Chow, right? The guy, uh, he's on Twitter, like, at Pro Football Doc. He mm -hmm. was uh, a team physician in the NFL for 17 years. Does all sorts of radio and TV now. I was listening to him the other day. He, he's in San Diego, but his daughter goes to South Carolina. And so he's, he's been Which, very— can we talk about South Carolina didn't shut anything down? Not much. <laughs> <laughs> Myrtle Beach was sending COVID to everywhere <laughs> on the East Coast. But he said the other day, he said, you know, I don't have any problems sending my kids back to school. And he said, and I think that very possibly they can figure out a way to safely play college football. He said, but at the same time, I don't think it's a great idea to put fans back in stands right away if you really want to finish a football season. Yeah. And you're not going to make all this money back that you're going to lose by having, you know, like if you're Georgia 
Georgia's talking about putting 20% capacity in Athens mm-hmm. this year in that stadium. It, it's not smart, you know, at least not right away, in my opinion. You're not going to make most of your money back. And you put you put at, at jeopardy or in jeopardy your season by doing that. Just mm-hmm. playing empty stadiums this fall if you can get it done. Yeah, it, 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 I I'm okay if they can do it a certain way. So now they're gonna have to put up what the clear plexiglass around the stadium, well around the lower bowl, so you can't get anything in. <laughs> I'm, this is what they're gonna have to do. You're gonna have to do this. You cannot because you don't care about the look. And I hate to say this, but they don't care if the fans contract COVID. Well, not just that. They're probably going to have to tarp off most of the lower bowl. That's what I would do. Yeah, they'd have to put keep everybody away, away from, from your yes, players. Yes, 100%. You have to keep them away. Because it only takes one dummy to spit at them or throw something or do something <laughs> to, like, mess this whole thing up. And we know how fans react, and we know that it's quite possible that they can do that. And they're also saying that they're going to just try and allow – uh, just the students into the stands, so not like normal fans. And we all know the students are the ones that are hanging out at the bars the most. Right. They're the ones that's not taking it the most serious. Right. And you, you look on any type of social media feed right now, you're seeing tons and tons of college students hanging out and doing what they do best, which is party. There, there, there's a lot of risk in doing this. I want to ask you about this, too. Speaking of football and all this stuff. You, you saw the latest story from the NFL. There's a lab in Jersey that they're tracing all these false positives to. they got multiple teams right now with dudes in quarantine, people that aren't practicing today because of a, some false positive tests out of a lab in Jersey. The NFL's looking into it. That's what I'm looking into. This like The NFL's going to play. Okay, They're not stopping. They're going to play. If they shut down college football altogether and those other three big conferences don't play, you're going to see the NFL play on Saturdays and Sundays. Oh, and they're they, going to take full advantage. And that. they should. That's exactly what they should do. What I'm wondering about, though, is stuff like this. You know, false positives. Uh, if, if Patrick Mahomes tests positive two days before a game, how many hundreds of times are they going to test him again until they get one negative? You know <laughs> what I mean? That's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm thinking about this fall because you know it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, because they want to win. They want to win. They're going to do whatever it takes. It, it's part of it, man. I, I just And I guess the same thing applies for college, too. There's no doubt about it. And what if you get a false positive or a false negative? All right, we get a false negative against a D lineman that's going against uh, Clemson, and next thing you know, he gives your center guard, two guards, everybody, COVID, and he tax, sacks your quarterback twice. You're in panic mode. What are we doing? You're so, in shutdown mode. Yeah, he's got our running back, he's got three linemen, and our quarterback. All in one person just messed us all up. <laughs> so what do you do? Now you're back to the bench, and now we got to go to a backup. That ruins our whole season. Well, that's the thing. And, and like with, with the NFL, like it's tougher in college. Because if you get an outbreak, you're just not playing that week. You're, you're not going to have that option. You can't do it. Um, but in the NFL, like if your kicker tests positive on a Friday, you got to sign a kicker really quickly, test him, and fly him to wherever you're coming into that weekend. You know, that's some like they, they've relaxed some of those rules, you know, in terms of uh, roster acquisitions and transactions to try to make sure there's flexibility for that sort of thing. Like Bruce Arians has talked about keeping his quarterbacks completely separate from each other in case somebody, something happens and somebody goes down to Brady. Are you trying to lose Tom Brady? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I'd keep him in the radio booth at the top of the stadium <laughs> until Sunday. I'd make him sleep there. But they, these, that's what they're going to deal with this fall. But it's, look, the NFL also you know, has a lot of money, and they're going to throw a lot of money at this. I, you and I were talking about it. Look what David Tepper did with the Panthers. They took that entire stadium – and built out individual suites on all four levels of that stadium. So each player on the roster has his own individual luxury suite 
inside the stadium. You haven't seen this? No. I, I just found out. Marty Herney told me about this. They, uh, they, they built out individual, like, suites for these guys to stay in during the day when they were tra- – yeah, it's nuts, man. They went – I mean, Tepper spent a lot of money. Well, everybody ain't got Tepper's pockets. That's very but, true. But, like, it's <laughs> a drop true. in the hat for this guy. All right? This guy – I mean, he cut the check for $2, million, $2 billion and kept it moving. Dude, he's <laughs> – He's serious about it. But I, I enjoy owners like that that are excited about being an owner, excited about throwing their money and their weight around, understanding that, hey, I'm going to make a difference. We are going to be a, a disruptor in this market because that's how he made his money. And he's not slowing down. I, I like it, the aggressiveness to go at it. And he wants his Panthers team to be good. I applaud him for that. I, I did not know that that's what they were doing. But you got to do anything. This is not a normal year. So you have to make guys, you have to do things that are maybe not comfortable or maybe not the status quo, and that you have to think outside the box to be able to continue to make sure we have a season, that our players are going to be healthy, that they feel confident about what we're doing as an organization, going forward about protecting you, making sure you and your family will be safe, that when you come to work here, you will not contract this disease, and you will be able to work freely in an open space and just being smart about it and continue to educate these guys and talking to them. And the communication factor plays a huge role in that and that we have to continue to have this open dialogue about what we're trying to do and what do you feel comfortable with? Well, here, like the other thing, too, you talked about like owners. First of all, you're right. It, it helps to be, you know, to have a net worth of $12 billion. I'm not trying to count his money. I'm not, no, nobody is. But what I'm also saying is that you can't – I still don't think you can buy a championship in the NFL, but you no. can come pretty close. <laughs> I mean, you can't buy a title. The guys on the field have to win the title. But as an owner, if you've got deep enough pockets, you can buy your way right to the edge. Oh, I mean, you can definitely buy your way up. Yeah. Like, you can definitely buy your way oh, to a, competi- a competing team. Even in the salary cap league, there's so many things you can do. Like, look at Brady in New England. The first time I went up there for a game, I was there for the, uh, the playoff game before Deflategate. So when Joe Flacco and the Ravens went in, it was a divisional round game. I, the first time my, my now wife, I went up and took her to a game. First, like, official date we had up there, kind of. And so I, I took see her. you, Kyle. It was negative three, dude. I wanted to die. All right, so we're up there. Buddy of mine's on the Ravens staff. He gets me the family tickets. It's, it was fun. But I was up there uh, the, the night the Ravens went up three touchdowns. Brady brings them all the way back. They beat them. Deflate Gates the next week, right? And it, it is, you know, I'm walking around the stadium beforehand, and I see the TB12 store right there in the Foxborough Plaza, you know, in the, the Gillette Stadium Plaza. Like, the, my point is, you know, he gave Tom Brady a sweetheart of a deal on some of that stuff. As an owner, there's a whole lot that you can do outside of, of the salary cap and the roster stuff. Oh, yeah. To, to make yourself very successful. Yes, you can. I mean, if you're not cheating, you ain't trying. Everybody knows that. And you get, uh, New England is known. Oh, yeah. But I'm just talking about, like, facilities and stuff, too. Like, well, all that, all that matters, especially when it comes in the NFL, when it comes to free agency. You right. draft the guys, then they don't have a choice about where they go or any type of facility that you have for guys. But when it comes to free agency signings, I know it's mostly going to come down to who's giving me the most money. But when it comes to a million-dollar difference of facilities, I, that will matter because at the end of the day, I'm trying to uh, – the longevity of my career can play in the balance of that. And if I can extend another year or two of my career, that's going to make up any amount of money that I may have lost by signing here or not signing there. I'm wondering what – I mean, the, the play itself is going to be interesting. I'm also wondering if they're going to all take a knee during the national anthem and how that's going to play during another election year and what that's going to be like. Because you hear everybody screaming about the NBA and all they've done with Black Lives Matter and all the, the imaging and the commercials and the jerseys and everything else. Like, I wonder what the NFL is going to do on that front. Well, I'm ex- I would love to hear that, too, because we all know the NBA is a much, much more progressive 
sport than the NFL. The NFL is the dinosaur. They're not moving. They're not doing anything different. They are who they are. And I assume a lot of guys will take a knee. If I was playing, I would take a knee. And I would also respect guys that stood up. But until the, the questions and the things that, are, will, that people are, that are marching and protesting about are being addressed, which that has totally gotten lost in everything that oh, we've been yeah. talking about, all right, which is the killing of people and the legal system and the, the everything that we're doing, right? We need changes, systematic changes in our country. And that is what we're talking about. So the mindset has to be different. And for those that I would ask to respect for me to kneel, I would still say I would respect their opinion that they want to stand because that is what, that's what we're here for. That is, that is your right. It's a flashpoint issue that gets people arguing. Right. right? It, it's, a, it's a very controversial uh, kind of flashpoint issue. Now, we can, we can debate all day whether or not the thread's been lost, right, mm-hmm. to your point, that, that as a lot of folks would tell you, never about the flag, never about the military, all about you know, social justice and human rights. And, and, Everybody you know, on the outside wants to make it about but that. But that, that's, that's any social movement. You know, that's the frustrating thing about it. You right. know, people, like some of the great civil rights leaders would tell you, too, that even then, you know, you have this wide array of grievances. You go to any protest, you stop 10 people and ask them what they're there for, you might get 10 different reasons why. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's always a commonality, but you all, the, all these people are there for some different reason, you know, for some different cause. And then you get the violent people. They're the violent protesters, mm-hmm. the Antifas, the Proud Boys that show up, like in Portland. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen the scenes out of Portland the last couple of nights. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. You know, but that's, it's all been lost in that, to your point. And so now these, in, these leagues, the NBA especially, but the NFL, Roger Goodell putting out a video like two months ago saying, we're, we're, we're I sorry. never thought I saw we that. We should have listened to you, right? <laughs> and, and now, you know, saying they want to play the Black National Anthem before the start of the, the week one games. But not even, you know, everybody who's in support of, uh, of Black Lives Matter is in support of that. You know, st- I, mean, I saw uh, the Sports Center uh, story posted on Instagram saying, hey, breaking news, the NFL plans to play the Black National Anthem before the week one games. The first comment that I saw below it was Steph Curry saying, can somebody tell me what this accomplishes? You know, and, and so, like, there are lots of people out there that are... I asked the same thing. But that's what I'm saying. So nobody agrees on much of any of this. And the truth is, I don't know how, how much of a topic of conversation this would still be if it weren't for the media capitalizing on every opportunity to show those images, to air the national anthem beforehand, because they know that it's going to stir people up and get them talking. Anytime we post something on our station website about that, that's the most comments and the most engagement of just about any post we get. It's because people want to argue about they it. They don't want to talk about normal sports, even in, even on the all sports channel, right? They want to talk about everything else. And as much as we kind of tell you, like, all right, keep politics and all these other things out, that is a hot-button thing right now. And like you said, with the election year, everybody's going to be fired up. And that is a way to continue to voice your opinion whatever kind of way you want. I just think everybody needs to respect everybody in that – we, we look at it and, you know, we're supposed to be one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, right? And indivisible, I had to look that word up because I was like, what is that word exactly? We're anything but indivisible right we now. We are everything but indivisible. And the fact of that, Kyle, is that it means unable to be divided or separated. Yeah. And we are clearly divided and separated as a country and as, a, as men, as human beings right now in this world, in our country. It, it's all over that. And it's just sad. Um, I, I've never seen sports this politically charged in my lifetime. I've, I've never seen politics this nasty. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not that old. Like, you and I are both in our 30s. You know, I've, I've, we haven't been around as long as some of these people, like, especially those who are around for the civil rights movement and everything else. So they've seen more than we have. But right. in, in my 34 years on earth, I've never seen sports this politically charged to the point that I do think there are some otherwise reasonable people who have tuned out or stopped watching 
if only because they not because they necessarily disagree with Black Lives Matter or they're they tired of hearing that they, they are they're t- they hit a threshold where it's just too much. It's an it's an extension of the nastiness that they'll see on MSNBC and Fox and CNN, and they don't want any part of it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, how do you? This is where I struggle, you know, because I can stand with you, you know, in some of the views that we share and champion those things. And at the same time, understand why some guy who's getting off work after a 12-hour shift just wants to watch a ball game and doesn't want to watch ESPN anchors pound him you know, to death with social issues that they aren't necessarily qualified to talk about. I can, I can empathize with that, too. Yes, you know I what I mean? Too. Yes, I can. And it, my, wife, my wife does not like watching the news anymore because she's just tired of it. Right. And it's just it's like, man, how much more are we going to have to listen? How much more is this going to be fed to me when I just want to hear normal news? I want to hear you know, about a kid getting rescued or a kid recovering from this. Like, I, that's what I want to hear. Right. And you're not hearing that anymore. It's everything else because that's what gets ratings. Well, and it's too, like, I hate to use the phrase virtue signaling, but it, it kind of is what it is. And the way I mean it is that you have these networks and stuff that are falling all over themselves to push out as much diversity content as possible, not because it's out of the goodness of their hearts, but because yeah, they yeah. want to capitalize on the moment. And I was, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. It's like, on the one hand, it's good that you're featuring, you know, black artists, you know, for this segment of the week. But you're, you're shamelessly promoting yourself in, in the middle of doing it. And you're showing us that you're doing it mostly to capitalize on the moment. Mm, mm. And, and that's, that, that doesn't make you feel very good about it either. So, again, I understand why some people would say, you know what, in, the, in, the, in a stadium, in a big game where we're all rooting for our favorite teams, we're not Republicans and Democrats, we're there to support a common cause, and you know, how do we get back to that? I don't, know if you, I don't know if you do. I don't know if you can get back to that. I, I don't think that happens right now, right now, anytime soon right now. It's just, it's, look, when we are, that is where we're at because that is what we're hearing from top down. All right. When everybody, everybody's always pointing blame at a Democrat or a Republican, this and it always makes you just have to jump on the side instead of being like, well, why can't I just be about our country? Why can't I just be about my sports team? Like, I don't really care about all this other stuff. I don't care that you're black. I don't care that you're white. I don't care that you're Asian. But everybody else wants to make that about what we're talking about. But if you don't care, you're inhuman. If you don't care, then you're not enlightened. If you don't care, you're you're selfish, right? And you're not Mm -hmm. caring about others or putting yourselves in the. Well, I I don't necessarily agree with that because while I do think that those with a voice should responsibly use that for the benefit of the greater good or Mm -hmm. or more people than themselves, absolutely. For a lot of people, there is a, a very real extent to which you can influence people. And at some point, if you become one of these athletes or broadcasters or actors or actresses who is constantly using a platform to bludgeon people to death with their politics or to make everything political or just to not let people enjoy the thing that they typically enjoy, don't be surprised if they start to resent you for that. It doesn't mean they don't care about your political platform. It doesn't mean they don't care about your life. It means that you're far from the only place that they're getting bludgeoned to death with politics and social issues right now, and every person has a threshold for that sort of thing. But again, you say that, and you're, you're careless, or you don't have empathy or sympathy for other people. I don't think that's true. Yeah, no, you know what, Kyle? That makes me come to a question for you, and that is, as a white male yeah. in this country right now, are you scared? Are you nervous to where you have to watch what you say or nope. what you do or anything like that? Because I've talked to some white friends of mine that are like, Man, I, I don't know. Am I like nervous about what I have to do, or how? I'm like, well, well, what are you saying? Like, first and foremost, and like, why should you have to walk on eggshells uh, because you're a white male, or that you feel that you're being attacked or that ostracized because you know if you say anything or if you feel any type of way that's different than the status quo or what the new 
regime is or a different opinion that, oh, everybody thinks you're racist. Well, no, I, I don't. But then again, like I, I talk for a living, so I'm pretty comfortable in my ability to communicate what I'm thinking. <laughs> and if I screw it up, I can pretty quickly fix it. So I, I guess I'm a little bit different in that way, but I, I'm, comfortable, I'm, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm comfortable in what I believe, you know, and, and I will explain that to you if I need to. I'm a person who is of the mindset that, especially now, we need to always remember that we have far more in common than we do apart. Yes. We have far more in common than we have differences. And, and it's not that I want to ignore the differences or ignore, you know, police brutality or ignore any number of one at all. I will gladly have that conversation with anybody anywhere. I don't like extremists. You know, I, I don't yes. I don't like the extremists that tells you that there's no such thing as systemic racism. That's ridiculous. I don't like the other extreme that, you know, preaches white guilt, you know, and that's I don't feel guilty about being white because I had no control in the matter. I didn't yes. get to check a box, you know, to, to pick what color skin I'd have coming out of the womb. You didn't either. No, I don't think anybody should feel guilty about the way they look. Joe Rogan said it not that long ago. We all just come from different climates, you know, and, and it's it's true. And so it's easy to preach this unison and harmony gospel, I guess, because I'm white and I have privilege and everything. No, I, I just I recognize there are problems out there in the world. I recognize that you are my friend. You have communicated those things to me. I see them. And so I want to be a part of the solution to help change some things and knock down some existing barriers for everybody. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to take the air every day or come on this podcast all the time, you know, and, and talk about it to, to the, my heart to, until you know, I'm blue in the face because people will get tired of it. They want to know what, what you think about. Uh, you know, Earl Thomas getting cut from the Ravens. They want to know what I think about who's going to win the World Series. And I'm talking about my radio show mostly here. Um, and I guess getting back to the original point, I'm comfortable in what I believe. And I will have a conversation with literally anybody. You know that about me. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. And, and I think at the very least, we're going to walk away from that conversation feeling pretty good about where each of us stands. Yes. I, I think another thing that more people should do is actually try to talk to and engage with people that's not in their normal circle. Right. Because oh, yeah. that, that's how you really grow. So often they only want to talk to people that agree with what they think. And you have to get out of that role. You have to get out of that comfort zone that we've all been in for so long that we only talk to people that agree with us. And that is not how you grow. You truly grow when you actually talk to people outside of you um, and that we're supposed to all be in this thing together. Like we're all different races for a reason. And that within that, we're still all one humankind. I, I got buddies that we don't agree about anything politically, and we have a blast together. I we agree. make fun I, of each other. We, we, we scream at each other until we're – and then we go right back to having fun again. We've lost the ability to do that and, and to not, you know, not determine someone's individual worth based on the political party they, they claim affiliation to. Like, for me, I don't want to be a part of your, your political party. I don't want to be a part of your team politically. Mm -hmm. I hate I, – I, that's a different can of worms we don't need to get into right now. But I, I don't want to be a part of your team, your political party. I want to vote for the, a good person, a good candidate with good views that, that has the best intention for all of us in mind. Right. The problem is I don't know that there are a lot of those out there right now. Yeah, man. Man, I, we, I, we really are about to jump off the ship now. <laughs> no, um, we, should probably, we probably shouldn't jump off the ship. <laughs> Look, I, I just I love having this conversation, Kyle, because um, and so often I don't get to ask enough of my my white friends and, and si brothers and sisters these questions. And I, I want more people to hear this because everybody's so caught up on all the, the Black Lives Matter, which they should. And everybody that, you know, a person of color, all of our opinions and emotions and but. Black people, we're tired of trying to explain to white people about how they're supposed to feel or how they're supposed to do this or all these other things. I think at some point, people should just understand and actually read, uh, educate your own self, 
And I actually have, I need to show empathy for those that don't look like me, that have maybe not gone through some of the things that I've gone through. And actually, let's just have this conversation. And you will be so surprised at how open so many more people are to actually wanting to listen and actually be like, oh, man, I never really thought about that, especially older people. I have a neighbor here, um, Mr. Wayne. He said it really hit home with him when he was down at his beach house. And, you know, we do live in Myers Park, so he has multiple homes. <laughs> and, you know, he's down at his beach house, and he has his grandkids, and she has some friends there with her, like six or seven friends, all walks of life, white, black, Asian. He's, he's, he's like, dude, they're all over. And they're all having a good time, and we, this whole discussion comes up about race, the state of our, our union or where we're at in this country right now. And they looked at him and like, granddad, it's all your generation's fault. Like, young people, we don't really care about all this stuff. He said, you guys, these old people, continue to try and push these old narratives on us and, like, all these other things. And, like, we just like hanging out with each other. We don't really care so much about all these other things. Yeah. That's why they date each other. That's why oh, yeah. they, they date all across the board now. Oh, they're generational lines <laughs> that are very real. They're very, very real. You're right about that. It's... Like the thing that Emmanuel Acho does with the uncomfortable conversations with a black man, the one that he did with Matthew McConaughey was phenomenal. You know, that to your point about just listening, you know, learning. That's one of those things that I think people benefit so much from, you know, being in educational environments and, you know, whether it's traveling the world in the military or any meeting other people, other cultures from other mm -hmm. countries who speak different languages, who look that opens your eyes to so many things, not only in the, the ways in which the world are different, but you find those common threads, the ways in which we're all the same. They're there. All you have to do is open your eyes and look at them. Yes. And, and I, you were, to your point about, you know, black people trying to tell white people or whoever else about their own lived experiences, listen. You know, and, and, and that's one of those things that, like me being from Appalachia, right, the, I say this all the time. The lived experience of being white in America and black in America are, are undeniably different, okay? I will never try to equate the two. But being from, you know, deep in Appalachia where a lot of my family's from, the, the ways in which coal companies came in and extracted resources and paid, you know, the, the people that lived where my parents grew up next to nothing, paid them in script, company script, not even in American money. All you could do with that script was shop at the company store, which went right back to them, <laughs> right? So in, in a lot of ways, like the, the people where I come from understand more about the black experience than a lot of other people do you mm -hmm. know you know having they'd probably be a lot they'd be a lot more alike than what they would think absolutely and so you know when, when i started to put it kind of in those terms to understand some of what i was hearing i was like oh they, okay there are very simple ways to equate this or to to relate or to at least understand what's being told to me so yeah again we could do this all day long but i think you're right it's all about listening and understanding that if you focus on the ways in which you're, you you have commonalities and the, and the ways that you're like other people life's a lot simpler to live and yeah, it's a yeah. lot more pleasant too. And you'll, you'll meet a lot more friends. I had a teammate of mine, uh, Justin Dresser, and he was a long snapper in New Orleans. And he went to this school in Texas where he said he only had two black kids in his whole school. And they yep. were, they, he said, these are probably the most non-black kids you'd probably ever meet. <laughs> like, they were like super rich. Like he said, dude, these are the most non-black kids you'll ever meet. I said, okay, so I'm laughing. And he said he had never been around black teammates or anybody black for real his whole life until he got to college at University of Colorado. Yeah. And he said his, the locker mate beside him was this black kid from Compton. And he said that was the first time he'd actually interacted with, like, a black person. And he said, dude, I had all these, like, images and, and things in my mind of what I thought it was going to be like or I thought this guy may be like. And he said, dude, I couldn't have been so much wrong than everything I thought and because he learned that from TV. And he learned that was his only experience. And he said that was so eye-opening and refreshing to him. He said, I literally just wanted to sit down and talk to him every day. 
after about a week or two. Yep. He, he's like, dude, we became like best friends because I was just so intrigued in just listening to him about his life experiences and just growing up and like, it's like, we're not that different at all. No, but you, you, you only know. As human beings, we only know what we've been taught. That's mm -hmm. it. You are a product of your environment. You're a product of how you were raised. And I know there's that Malcolm Gladwell theory that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, or maybe it's the ten people you spend the most time with. Like, I believe those things are true. Damn, I so, need to get away from my wife. So, <laughs> so if all you know is all you know, then how could you know anything different? But it, it takes that learning. It takes that submersion into other cultures, being around people who, to your point, aren't like you. And that's such a critical part of developing and growing as a human being. But, look, uh, I, I know we, we kind of we, we want to keep this thing to about an hour, and uh, we got a lot of things to say this week. So I'm glad we did this again. No, man, dude, I love it. Uh, we'll continue to do this. We'll continue to grow together, Kyle. This is going to be awesome, bro. Let's do it. Love it. There you go. we got more to come. This was fun. We'll do it again later this week. For uh, Roman Harper, I'm Kyle Bailey. We'll talk to you next time.